Let's open in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to switch a bunch of gears this morning as we look at Matthew 21, and I hope we can all stay on board here. Um, We've been studying Jesus as our cornerstone. We're a brand new church, and so we've been preaching this entire time since September when we started from the cornerstone out. According to Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is our cornerstone. We only understand ourselves in as much as we understand Jesus. And so we've been doing that through several different Gospels. We started with John's Gospel, of course, because John's Gospel starts us from before Jesus was born on earth. It starts from eternity past. And so we studied Jesus through John, and then we switched at Christmas time to Luke, because Luke gives us such a full explanation of Jesus' birth. And so then we began studying Jesus through Luke, and now we left off with Luke last week, where Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem. He was going to begin in Luke a 10-chapter journey from up north in Galilee to Jerusalem where ultimately he's going to give his life. But in order to stay with the church calendar, we need to rush ahead to get to this scene here on Sunday morning. And we're going to do it by transitioning into Matthew's gospel and looking at Matthew 21 to watch Jesus on the Sunday before his crucifixion make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let me read for us this story from Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are beholding you making a demonstration of your kingship. Let us watch in awe and wonder this morning. Let us throw yourself at your feet and enjoy you as king. We ask and we plead in your name. Amen. I don't know if you guys have ever been part of a public demonstration, ever been part of picketing something, demonstrating something, throwing down a public challenge in in a public sphere. I don't know if you've participated in that, but that's a crazy thing to do. I was sharing with uh, a few guys from Greek Impact a couple of weeks ago. I've heard the story of an evangelist in America. I don't even know if it's true, but that doesn't matter. Um, He was a lumberjack in the 1700s, and he had an evangelistic ministry to fellow lumberjacks. And here's, here's how he did his ministry. He would enter a lumberjack camp where all these guys, it was just men that were working there, cutting down trees all day, big, burly men. They were done for the day. They were around their campfires. And this evangelist would come in and he would say, I want to fight your toughest guy. Bring out your toughest guy. I want to fight him. Well, of course, everybody was excited to see that. And so they found their toughest guy and brought him forward. And this evangelist would just 
whip the mess out of this guy. And then with everybody standing around cheering on, he would say, all right, I want you to sit down. I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus. Well, you can imagine every single man to a man sat down and listened to what he had to say about Jesus. And I thought, man, we got to try this in Colombia. Um, but that kind of demonstration, that kind of public challenge, that's, that's exhilarating. You're taking part in challenging the status quo. You're taking part in challenging the powers that be. And that is an exhilarating, subversive thing to be a part of. Make no mistake, when Jesus rides a colt into Jerusalem, he is staging a public demonstration. He's going to have a triumphal entry. He's going to cleanse a temple. He's going to curse a fig tree. And all of these things challenge the religious authorities of Jesus' day. All of these things throw down a challenge to them to say there is a different reality at work here than the one that you are operating in. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he's after in all that is taking place in Matthew 21. Well, we know leading up to this scene that Jesus has spent almost his entire ministry in the north of Israel, right? We're down here in Jerusalem now, but he has spent almost the entire time in Galilee. And he said again and again and again, my ministry is to go to every town and village in Galilee and preach the gospel. Jesus probably went to just about every single one of the 175 towns and villages that were in Galilee to preach the gospel to them. And he did that as part of his ministry. He strategized about that. He sent out workers. And Jesus probably got his gospel to most of the 200,000 people that lived there. Most, of, most Galileans would have heard of Jesus, and many of them would have seen him because Jesus was drawing huge crowds to himself. Well, Matthew 21, this is brand new territory for Jesus because now he's come south. He's come to the city of Jerusalem, which he's only been a few times before. And there are 100,000 people here who may or may not have heard of him, but certainly have not seen him before. And so what Jesus does in this demonstration is he makes a very visible presentation of himself to this brand new group of people. Verse 21 drops us in on the scene. Jesus travels to Bethpage, which is basically like a suburb of Jerusalem, and it sits to the east of the city. It's on the Mount of Olives. And so you're looking down over the Kidron Valley to Jerusalem, and that's where he is making these plans. Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead, and he says, Look, I need you guys to get me a colt and a donkey, and here's what you say to somebody if they, if they ask you what you're doing. Now, Jude and I had just watched um, Star Wars and New Hope, And there's a scene in that movie where uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi are fleeing stormtroopers. And so they go into this village, and there's stormtroopers there, and they ask to see their papers. And Obi-Wan Kenobi uses the force, and he kind of waves his hand and says, you don't need to see our papers. And the stormtrooper says, we don't need to see your papers. And it's awesome. That's always how I pictured this scene. When the disciples get the donkey, and somebody says, what are you doing with my donkey? And they say, the Lord needs it. And they say, okay, the Lord needs it. Um, That may or may not have happened, but after we've spent a little bit of time with Jesus in Luke, we are understanding a different side of Jesus. Jesus is, is a strategist. Jesus plans and plots where he's going and what he's doing. He's created home bases that he kind of launches out of. He's raised support, and he budgets that support. He plans for where and how he's going to send short-term workers. I suspect 
that Jesus has already made plans to get a hold of this donkey and colt. I suspect that Jesus has already been reading and studying and thinking about Zechariah's prophecy. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he knows that this is the demonstration he wants to stage. That's what I suspect about Jesus because that's what he's been doing all along. Well, either way, our Lord, who by all gospel accounts for his entire ministry has only ever walked from place to place, never done anything besides walking, finally, after he's walked the entire way from Galilee across the Jordan and back to Jerusalem, for this last little leg of his trip, for the first time we ever see, he gets on a donkey, and he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Jesus is not tired of walking at this point. Jesus is making a deliberate demonstration. The disciples, they're with him at this point, and they start to take off their cloaks, and they put them on these two animals, the donkey and the colt that's with her, and and they walk with Jesus as he rides this two miles down from Bethpage through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. And they're not alone with Jesus because we're approaching the Passover, and that means that thousands upon thousands of Galileans from the north are coming with them. They're also coming into the city because they want to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And so as we approach this city, you have a swarm of people coming before Jesus and behind Jesus, and they are beginning to recognize Jesus because they have spent the last three years with him. And man, I get chills when I see this thing unfold because the the fervor is going through the crowd as they watch Jesus mounted on this colt riding these two miles into the city. And this entire scene is so powerful because as, as often happens in the Gospels, people are doing and saying more than they could ever know. And this scene is dripping with kingly images. Jesus is being presented as a king, and there is an excitement in the crowd that sees this. Look at this. Here's just a few things that he's doing. Jesus is riding on the exact same route that King David did when he reclaimed his throne so many years ago. King David rode this same way into the city as happened in 2 Samuel 15. Jesus is consciously fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, which happened 500 years before this happened. Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9 here, but Zechariah 9.10 goes on to say, His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. This is a king who is coming. Now the people, when they see this, they start to take off their cloaks and put it on the ground in front of Jesus. They start to cut off branches, John says, palm branches, and put those before him as he rides. That's the exact same thing the Israelites did for righteous King Jehu when he rode to claim his crown before he eradicated the idol of Baal from all of Israel. They are seeing Jesus as a king, and finally they hail him, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They are using language from Psalm 118, which is a prayer of salvation directed to God, but they're directing it to Jesus. All of this that's happening, all this imagery, all this fervor, all of this excitement is pointing to the same thing, that we have a king who is coming with a kingdom, and that's the message that Jesus has been saying for the last three years. 
Thousands upon thousands of people are racing forward, taking off their coat, trying to gain the honor of putting that coat in front of Jesus' donkey, that his donkey might tread upon that. And they are cheering, and they are jostling, and they want to see Jesus. A king is coming. Verse 10 says that the whole city was stirred up. Literally, the entire city was shaken by this. People are asking, who is this? Who is this person who's coming, and why is he riding, and why are there thousands of people rejoicing and cheering for him? And you you almost hear the rural Galileans who are coming answer the urban Judeans, this is Jesus. He's a prophet from Nazareth. Now, you'll remember when Jesus was born outside of Jerusalem so many years ago that the announcement of his birth shook up the city. Matthew 2.3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he heard that Jesus was being born, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. His birth 33 years ago shook up this city because kings generally don't like to hear that other kings are being born in their backyard. It was shaking up the city, and now 33 years later, he comes back to almost the same place, and his presence, his kingly presence, is shaking up the city of Jerusalem once again. Whatever reaction we have to this, whether we're troubled, whether we're shaken, whether we're shocked, whether we're enraged, whether we're encouraged, Jesus is staging a public demonstration meant to get the blood flowing. Jesus wants to get a reaction out of us. He wants to reveal to us either we are running to him to join his kingdom or we are digging on our heels to avoid his kingdom. But whatever we do, we cannot remain motionless because Jesus is moving and Jesus is demanding a response. He is throwing down a public challenge and he is saying to us, what will you do with this? What will you do as you see me enter Jerusalem as king? So how do we respond? What do we do with Jesus gentle and lowly riding on a colt? What do we do with this? This is one of the last times we're going to see Jesus make a kingly demonstration in his first coming. This is Sunday, Palm Sunday. Jesus is going to give his life on Friday. We're we're bringing this chapter of Jesus' ministry to a close. This is one of the last times we'll see Jesus show himself as a king. Now, Jesus is coming again to show himself as a king. The Bible says that Jesus will come a second time, and when he comes, he will also present himself as a king. That scene is played out in Revelation 19, and that is a chilling scene because in that scene, Jesus trades his colt for a war horse, and when he comes a second time, at a day and an hour we do not know, he will come to do battle with all who have rejected him as king. That's what Jesus is going to do in Revelation 19. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today is the day of salvation. If you do not know Jesus, or you do not know if you know Jesus, if you have not bent your knee to him as king, come to him today. He offers himself to you as a gentle king of peace riding on a colt. Meet with Jesus today before he comes in that scene in Revelation 19 on a war horse. That day is too late. This is the way we respond to Jesus. We bend our knee to him and entreat him as king. 
But if you've done this, if you've confessed your sin and your rebellion, if you have trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation, you will never face Jesus on the battlefield. You will never see him on his war horse in Revelation 19. You will only know him as a gentle king of peace. So how do we access this? How do we, how do we make sense of Jesus lowly on a donkey coming to us? What does that mean for us today and this week and this month to come? I want to do something a little different, and I want to draw three ways we rest in Jesus from Zechariah 9. This is the passage that Matthew is referring to, and there are three ways we can access approaching and receiving Jesus as riding on his colt, and it's these three. Number one, rest in his defense of you. Rest in his defense of you. Zechariah 9.8 says this, Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. This is God speaking of his defense of his people. God is defending his people. This is what he does. If you are in Christ, King Jesus defends you. He's made peace with you, but that peace does not extend to your enemies. Are you feeling surrounded or oppressed or crushed? This is Satan pressing in on you. This is Satan tempting you to what it feels like is the breaking point. These are enemies in your life or people that you thought were friends that are saying slanderous things about you, that are hurting you to your core. These things are oppressing you and hurting you from outside of yourself. And there are only two ways to defend ourselves. The first is this. You can put on your cloak. You can strive. You can work. You can fight. You can fail to justify yourself in front of people who are bent on unjustifying you. Or you can rest in Jesus. You can take off that very cloak and you can put it before the king of peace. And you can let him be your defense. Rest in Jesus. Isn't it interesting how little people actually talk to Satan in the Bible? If you think about how many conversations between people and Satan there are, there are very few because there's so little to say. You want to live, Satan wants to kill you. That's a conversation stopper. There's nothing to be said there. Run to Jesus. Find your rest in him. If you are feeling this oppression, if you are feeling this temptation to the breaking point, find your rest in Jesus. He has made peace with you, and he makes war with your enemies. Number two, rest in his delight in you. Listen to Zechariah 9, 16. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. As the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. This scene in Jerusalem, this is a triumphant scene, but it's not serene because before the week is out, the same people that are crying out Hosanna are going to say, crucify him, crucify Jesus. Jesus knows all this. He's not not driven on in this triumphal entry out of a misguided hope or empty flattery, something that he's gaining out of this. Jesus is driven on this donkey by delight. Delight in his Father's glory that is manifested in securing a kingdom of saints for himself. Jesus delights in you. And if there's any rest that's to be found, it's to be found in Jesus' delight of you. Jesus' defense can protect us from enemies without, but who's going to protect us from enemies within? The voices and the things that we say to ourselves. 
This is Jesus' delight. It will protect us. You know, I think in thinking about Jesus' delight, sometimes men struggle with this idea that Jesus, that we're the object of Jesus' delight because it can feel so unmanly. And I think sometimes women struggle with feeling like they're the object of Jesus' delight because they feel so unlovely. The short pastoral answer to both of these struggles, whether it feels unmanly or you feel unlovely, is to stop it. Stop thinking that way. Knock it off. Quit it. Life is so short. Why are we trying to build our theology and our hope in ourselves on the sandy soil of what we woke up thinking this morning? We are trying to build it on the bedrock of God's word. This is what God is saying about you. And this is what God says he thinks about you. And if you have trouble in and of yourself quitting that and stopping that and knocking that off, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to a friend. Bring it to worship on Sunday morning and say, when I wake up in the morning, I do not feel lovely. Jesus, I need to rest in your delight of me. Lord, when I wake up in the morning, I feel restless because I feel like I need to achieve something as a man. Help me rest in my delight of you. If those things mess with our definition of loveliness and manliness, we need new definitions. Because Jesus says in Zechariah 9, you are the jewel in my crown. He says that you are the apple of my eye. He says that I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. He says, I am preparing you as a bride for myself. I delight in you. Rest in that delight. Enjoy that delight that's for you. Rest in his delight. And number three, finally, rest in my delight of him. Zechariah 9.17 says, For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Zechariah 9 just ends with this triumph of praise. It joins with this chorus, really, in Matthew 21. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to Him in the highest. When I begin to see Jesus as my defender and the one who delights in me, worship begins to flow in my life. When I see Jesus humble and mounted on a donkey, a king offering me terms of peace, I'm caught up in that vision. I'm overwhelmed by the love that he has for me. I'm enraptured by it. I begin to notice the beauty and the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. I begin to see those thousand things that clamor for my attention, that beg me to turn to the left and to the right, those idols that I serve week in and week out. They begin to pale in comparison to the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. I want to spend time with him. I want to marvel over him. I want to immerse myself in him. I want to delight myself in Jesus. That's how we receive him. When you see Jesus this Palm Sunday come at you, gentle and riding on a donkey, receive his delight for you. Receive his defense of you and delight yourself in him. Let's pray together. We can do no greater than this, Jesus, than to delight ourselves fully and wholly and wonderfully and recklessly in you. You are our king. You approach us as king. And we celebrate that this Palm Sunday. Father, give us a new vision of who you are and how we serve you as king, we ask in your name. Amen.